Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting. This is Season 6, Strengthen Hearts, a podcast on First Thessalonians. Well, Timothy, watch out, because... Uh... What's going on? (laughs) I'm going to get warmed up in a few minutes. (laughs) Are you still waking up? (laughs) I'm still waking up a little bit, but uh, I think as we get rolling into content, we're going to have a lot of fun (laughs) today. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. This is such a powerful word from God. And I've I've been getting some messages, Jonathan, we haven't been... So great at, at having a, a a rhythm and releasing the content for First Thessalonians, but um, really big news here this morning, <laughs> right? You want to tell or should I? Go go ahead. We're gonna finish the whole thing this morning. <laughs> this is good. We're be... doing it. I I got my cup of coffee right here. Um, I, I'm ready to go. The content is ready. We're going to finish the whole rest of the book. <laughs> this is what we call epic, long-form <laughs> podcasting. Ready or not, world, here we come. There's a guy There's a guy that I like to listen to. It's called Hardcore History. I, I think that guy does it kind of like this, too, where he, he'll, he, he releases podcasts that are literally four hours long or something like that. But I can listen to him. I can listen to him. Look, people are are traveling for the summer and stuff like that. They're all road tripping it. Who wants to get it on an airplane, right? And you can listen to Strengthened Hearts this season. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. Here we go. We're going to cover uh, one and a half chapters right now. Um, I think we're going to do it all in one sitting. It's going to be amazing, epic, and uh, the content is... Um, incredible what we have oh man (laughs) strengthen heart by the end of it lord willing i want to timothy just do one thing and by the end of the podcast you will know why i'm going to do this one thing but i i simply just want to read what we're going to cover here and we're going to cover this in chunks the first chunk that we're going to take is uh first thessalonians 4 13 through 18 and the one thing that I want to do is simply read it. So here's what the scripture says, brothers and sisters. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word. We tell you that that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here we go. Here we go. So we're going to, if I'm on the same page as you, we're going to take three sections here this morning. This is the first one. The NIV has underneath it the believers who died. And we wanted to just look at some of these verses in, in depth. I just wanted to pick up right away. And just to help people notice, when you read the Bible and you move from different sections of these letters, and it's almost like you're reading a letter to someone else, which you actually are, but it's it's a spiritual word also for us. When you're reading these letters, especially from Paul, you, you want to notice these transitional statements. So uh, at the beginning of chapter four, uh, Paul says, we don't need to actually talk to you about these matters. You already know it. And he's going to say that again um, at the beginning of chapter five. We'll cover that in a little bit. But here he's got an unprecedented statement at the beginning of verse 13. And he's not actually going to repeat it. He's going to he's going to say, um, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep. So this is what we call lidotes. It's a double negation. In other words, to, to, to say it in, in, in a positive way, I really, really need you to know. <laughs> I really, really need you to know about what happens when somebody dies. And um, it is really important, you know, as we think about going to funerals and when we, we lose somebody that we love, what knowing what happens knowing what death is, knowing who Jesus is, changes everything, your approach to grieving. And that's really what we're going to be doing in the first part of this podcast. We really need you to know about this. In other words, we don't want you to be uninformed. And so this is this is a really important part of First Thessalonians. Yeah, so we should perk up. <laughs> it's like when you tell your daughter who's a teenager, um, I, I do not want you home past 11. <laughs> you could say, I really, really want you home by 11. Oh. <laughs> I do not want you. It's like, that's the that's light of these. Yeah. Yeah. That's light. <laughs> so it's like, it should perk us up. This is a communication set strategy. It's rhetoric, but what it's doing is it's really emphasizing here that Paul has something he really wants us to know. It's a piece of information that for these Thessalonians, they didn't seem to yet have. And, so let's take this apart, Timothy. He's he's bringing us into this teaching on what happens to Christians when they die. And one of the first things he does um, is he says, I don't want you to grieve like everybody else. I don't want you to be sad like everybody else. I don't want you to experience death like everybody else. And so the first thing that we should talk about is how, what does it mean to grieve? like everybody else. We can't be different from it um, until we know exactly what it is that everybody else is doing. What does it mean to grieve like everybody else? Yeah. So there's, there's worldly grieving and there's Christian grieving. There's, and there's, there's uh, hopeful grieving 
and there's hopeless grieving. And like, like you said, what we want to just kind of name and say out loud is what is hopeless grieving look like? What is hopeless or worldly grieving sound like? And I, I have some ideas that I'm sure you do. What, what do you, what do you think, Jonathan? I, and I've heard people talk this way. I know you kind of have to go in your mind to like a wake or a visitation or um, a conversation that you've had with somebody that you know, and and all of us have experiences like this. What's hopeless grieving? What's it mean to grieve like everybody else? Um, I've heard people say, you know, as long as <laughs> as long as they're still in your heart, they're not dead, and yeah, they are. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Can I let me give you a little insight into myself? Because I've heard that statement a lot too. Like, as long as we keep them in our hearts, as long as we remember them, the the thing that I always think in the back of my head is, well, what happens when you die? Then, then they're truly dead because nobody's remembering them anymore. See? Oh man, that's hopeless. I told you. I told you. Cynical. (laughs) We're gonna go (laughs) or um. Sometimes, but it's not a hope. That's hopeless grieving right there. It yeah, really is. That there's nothing left except what you remember about them. Yeah. And yeah. and then, so that's so that's sort of like a, a romantic, uh, silly romantic idea. As long as we have their memory in us, then they're, you know, still alive in some sense. Um, then there's probably what I would call like a hard materialist view. People who have loved ones die and they just say, you know what? They're gone. It's over. We had a good run. Um, that's pretty hopeless too. <laughs> there, there's a, there's a children's book that kind of follows along those same lines. Oh man. We, had, <laughs> I got so many stories living in New York city, but there's this, you, you can go to the library and get this book and, and it talks about people dying and, the comparison is uh, to a leaf falling off a tree. So it's just like, oh, you just put them in the ground and they, and it's so helpful and awesome because they become fertilizer. That, that's the comparison. And now the biblical comparison is it's a seed that, that you put in the ground that comes back even more beautiful because of the resurrection of the dead. And so, that's, that's, that's different, right? That's very different. That's the, and, and if we could categorize that, that's the naturalist view of how death works. We're a part of this like life cycle. We're a part of this ecology. We're a part of how we observe things working. We live, we die. We're a part of this bigger thing. But there's no overarching uh, biblical narrative of, of resurrection like, like the Bible has it. And, and by the way, this is re- that's actually really dangerous thinking that you just cease to exist. Like death, the definition of death is that you cease to exist um, because it, it neither allows for a belief in heaven, but especially a belief in hell. And so to believe that you just, you just blink off and that's it. Um, deep in our hearts, we know that's not true. And it kind of sets you up for unbelief. So these are, I, I think that's the, like the first category is like, what what's what are hopeless statements we hear? I think we can also talk about what are hopeless feelings that we feel. You know, um, 
hopeless feelings is that, you know, we'll never feel okay again. Or um, another feeling that I often encounter in people who have lost loved ones is incredible guilt, incredible guilt. Like the, somebody said something wrong or they weren't there when somebody died or, um, you know, death can come. There's a song that I've got in my head, this poetry, death comes in, um, it interrupts our lives. It comes suddenly. And when it interrupts us, sometimes it, it comes in, it always comes in at an inopportune time, right? Like we, we, we needed more time. We needed to say one more thing. We needed to do one more thing. And then we feel this incredible guilt. Like, why didn't we? And, um, or uh, even sometimes like we weren't there or we somehow caused it. Um, so guilt can be a, a feeling. Anger can be a feeling, <laughs> you know, anger can be a feeling. Yeah. So we, like we, you can look at hopeless grieving as a spiritual manifestation. That's kind of what we're saying. You can see it in your emotional life and you know, the believer can have these things happen too, but we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but also it manifests itself in, in behaviors, right? So we wanted to talk about behaviors too, where uh, hopeless grieving can manifest itself in self-medication that that happens in so many different ways it can be binging on television working too hard over exercising uh, i've seen all of these things uh overworking compulsions with either keeping all their stuff like you yeah you, you see this in the movies and maybe even in real life where you can't touch anything that's in their room because because somehow this, this is going to work itself out or you throw everything away because every time you're reminded of the person you just can't handle it so like these two different extremes and then th this is one of the most dangerous ones and, and sadly the one of the most prominent things people get really greedy right away and so what you happen have happened in hopeless grieving and is you're like since there is nothing else in this life, you know, since we are not storing up things in heaven, we got to fight over mom and dad's money and we got to fight over mom and dad's property. And so it, it, when somebody dies, it gets so ugly so fast. So I, I think you're right. Like, uh, I don't want to comment on anything else you said except to say this there's two forms of denialism you can deny that somebody was alive by just sort of erasing their memory from from your life you just toss everything it never happened that person never lived or the other opposite denial is that that they died that they're not here anymore and you hold on everything and and you re, you pretend like they're still here but all of these things are 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 different ways for us to grieve hopelessly. So what does it mean? What does it mean to grieve um, with hope? Uh, before we talk about that, I, I think we're going to get there. And what we're going to do is we have to set a foundation for hope. <laughs> we got to do this like Paul did it. <laughs> yeah, right. And verse 14, I think that's kind of what you're moving into. Yeah. It, uh, I just want to say this. There's two passages in the book of first Thessalonians that like jump <laughs> because of, because they're so Christological, you know, they're, they're so full of Jesus. 
And it, it's these, they're two rare gems. We're going to cover them both today. And we're going to run into the first one in verse 14, where you just don't have, it's, it, it's astounding to say this, but you just don't have a lot of like creedal Jesus statements in first Thessalonians, but you do in verse 14 for we believe and this is so comforting. I don't know how many times I've I've walked. Recently, I walked into an apartment. One of my, a good friend of mine had died. And his good friend was there. And, and I, I've known her for years. And we were standing right next to the bed. And his body was there. And I said, let's, it's okay to touch the body. You can do that. And the police were there and everything else. And. He, he's with Jesus now. You don't have to be scared. And then right away I said, I want to I read to you what this person believed. And so we, we go here. I, I mean, I'm sure you go to these passage, this passage too. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, what happened to Jesus happens to us. You know, that's that's what we think. We're we're on the Jesus train and don't don't miss. There's so much theology that's packed into this. Like Timothy, one theology that we have to pack into this is baptismal theology. You know, we we died with him. We got connected to his death and resurrection through our baptism. Um, Baptism is this divine gift that connects us to to Christ. And, and Paul takes all of this stuff and he distills it into this like packed in theological statement. <laughs> oh man. I, it, it's incredible. Actually, like it, when you, when you like take it, it, it's like a, it's like a flower that's it unleashes its petals, you know? And so baptismal theology is just packed in here. This is what we believe. This is what we were first baptized into. Um, Christ died and he rose again. And so that's going to happen to us too. Come on, let me loose. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, it, there's a beautiful Lutheran hymn and it just asks the question, how can the head rise and leave his member's dead? You know, it just not happening. Just, it just can't. We're so intimately connected to Jesus and, and Paul's already leaning into that here in first Thessalonians that if he rises and since he rose, he will not leave his members in the grave. He just can't. This, I mean, this <laughs> his story. love is it. There's two things like, let me, let me just push into There's two things. His love is too great. Right. And we already saw the demonstration of his love when he died for us. And his power is too great for him to leave his members dead in the grave. It's impossible for him. And, and the story, what Paul is doing is here is he's giving us this, this, the essence of the Christian story. The essence of the Christian story is that death does not have mastery over us because it does not have mastery over Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave. It doesn't control him. It's not its Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of all. <laughs> you know, let me. Yeah. Come Amen. on. This is, <laughs> this, this is is the hope that we have. And, you know, another one. Of and this, the, this is what makes uh, grieving hopeful, which is you shouldn't be able to put those two words together, right? 
hopeful grieving, but this is what Christians do, hopeful grieving. One other theology that, that you can sort of um, unfold, um, like the petals of a flower, um, is first fruits theology. You know, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. He's certainly not the last fruits. You know, there's still more grain coming into the ground. Um, and, and, and that's us. So um, this is our hope. This is the foundation. This is what we should never, ever forget in First Thessalonians ever. <laughs> yeah, and... I just wanted to talk about one of the words that Paul uses here. He says, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And we're going to talk more about how he uses the word sleep in First Thessalonians. It's going to be important as we move through to the end of the book here. But here, he's really using the word sleep in the way that Jesus did. And pe people mocked Jesus when he said, she's only sleeping. Uh, when there was a stag girl lying there. But here, here's the thing. Death for Jesus is sleep. It's And, and I always, people, I, one time I, I told, I told a, a dear friend, I said, you know, sometimes I practice dying. And like I, I remember um, going into surgery, and if you've ever gone to surgery and you're going to general anesthesia, um, you kind of lay out your hands like this in the form of a cross because you got the IVs and stuff all, all this hooked up. Have you ever had surgery like that, Jonathan? No. And it, yeah, so you, you, you're you naked. You got this thin gown, but you know everybody's going to see you naked in a second. I mean, <laughs> and then you, you put your arms out like this. And and I, I remember one time when I had general anesthesia, I just started praying the Lord's Prayer. Did not make it through it. And it's kind of like it's kind of like that where you're you, you you practice dying. You do that at night too. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And one time I shared that that prayer and I said, I teach my daughters to pray like this. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And and they were like, You teach your kids that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because sleeping and death are so tied together in the Christian imagination that we know that it's that easy for Jesus to say, rise up, and we'll talk about that in a second, and we will. It's no different than sleep. See? Yeah, we, we lose control. We're vulnerable. We close our eyes. We go to a place where... Um, who knows where we go while we're sleeping, you know, and we have this trust that we're going to open our eyes again. Uh, it's so similar. And my experience with, with this is, is similar to you. Like I, I like to practice dying when I go to sleep at night. What are you doing? Every time you go to sleep, you say, you know what? I'm not God. I have definite limits and the, the the limits that we come up against, they happen to us every single day. We have to go to sleep. Um, death is the ultimate limit. And um, it shows we're not God. And then we we put ourselves in God's hands. We we have one of the things that I've been really interested in as a parent lately is is um, raising up traditions in our house and following traditions in our house. And so one of the traditions that 
that we use in our house is, is the small catechism. And um, one of the little known traditions in the small catechism is there's a prayer. There's a nighttime prayer. And we use that every single night now. And then I love, I love what it says in the small catechism. Our, the small catechism as it's published actually doesn't have all the small catechism. But the, the real small catechism has you pray this prayer. And then after the prayer, Martin Luther writes these words. It's, he says, then you shall go to sleep quickly and cheerfully. <laughs> it's really good. And now um, my daughter, um, your niece, uh, she knows to say it. So I say that now you shall go to sleep quickly and cheerfully. <laughs> and, and that's how I need you to use that on our daughters. <laughs> it's really good. And then, yeah, so um, she knows that like this is what this is how this works. Like we do uh, we, we can take all of the, the fear, all of the trouble, the sin um, from the past day. We place it into God's hands through prayer. And then we say, you know what, Lord, I'm yours. And um, I'm just going to go to sleep now, quickly and cheerfully. You're, you're dragging a story out of me. There's, there's a really good new movie on, on uh, Apple TV Plus or whatever by Tom Hanks. I forget what it's called now. It's an animal, the Greyhound. And Tom Hanks, I'm, sh- I, I'm almost 100% convinced that he's um, a Lutheran on there because he says, it won't say it in the movie, but he says Luther's morning prayer before he goes and fights against the Nazis. So cool, actually. You got to watch it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But those, he those traditions, yeah. like Christians have lived with those prayers. They've died with those prayers now for hundreds of years. It's incredible to be a part of part of the church. But the point here is we have so much hope that we can go to sleep. And now I mean that in an ultimate way. We, we meet our ultimate limit before God um, with cheerfully and, um, and, and quickly in some cases. Um, and this is where we got to turn around. We spend a lot of time talking about what it means to grieve hopelessly, but what does it mean to grieve um, hopefully? Um, and and we can talk about this um, emotionally, physically, in terms of disciplines as well. Where do you want to start with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that the the Christian's going to feel like the same thing that the unbeliever or the hopeless pe- person. Yeah, will. it doesn't say Christians don't grieve. Yeah, it's <laughs> the the difference is is where are you grounded, and what do you do with those emotions? So you're in, like it, all of those things that we talked about: the sadness, the grief, the anger. Those are things that Christians are going to feel. It's it's what do you do with those feelings? Then do you? instead of self-medicating, the, the Christian's going to give him or herself space um, and time to pray, to move into God's promises, to lament. And one of the things that I think is going to be really important and people can help you through this process is, is to stay close to the church, to community, because believing brothers and sisters are going to do what Paul says to do. Uh, he says, encourage one another with these words. So to kind of pull you along and to remind you, this this person is sleeping, they're with Jesus, you will see them again. 
and it, they will get you through what I call like a season. I, I really, I don't know when I became aware of this, but I think it's really important to name the season in your life, to name it. And sometimes it's, it, you have a busy season. Uh, and to say like, right now I'm busy, but I can't be this way forever. I understand that. There's going to be a season where you're grieving. This is what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us. There's a season for everything. Um, there's a season of joy. There, there's a season for resting. And so the Christian needs to be able to, to mark it and say, this is my season to grieve. I'm going to notice and name and bring to God um, what I've lost here. The world's a broken place. Sin is in it. Death is in it. And and I'm, I'm not in heaven yet. And and to, to take a, a, a season of life and to, to realize that and and to renew our hope in the Lord, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. So there's um I wanna just say a couple things pastorally here. And the first thing pastorally I, I wanna say is um beware of of feelings that can derail grieving. Um beware of guilt um when it comes to grieving. Uh, guilt is something that can stop you in your tracks. Um, beware of criticizing yourself wrongly, too. I, I hear a lot of grieving Christians say, you know, I'm just being selfish right now. And that's when I look at them and I might say, that's, and I tell them, um, my members know this about me now. They'll, they'll say, I'm being selfish right now. And I tell them, no, you're not. You love them. This is not selfishness. So, um, being honest about what you feel doesn't mean you have to downplay or repress or accuse yourself for being really sad or upset that that somebody's um, gone and and they're with the Lord right now. So we don't uh, we we need to watch out for those negative things. But positively, um, I want to encourage people who are grieving to seek pastoral care. Um, a lot of people just tough it out. I'll be better in a few months. Seek pastoral care. Um, one of the reasons why your pastor's there is to help you through these times. Your pastor can help you process and talk to you. If, if you're feeling false guilt, the pastor can help you through that. Um, the pastor can give you good guidance on um, what does it look like to be a Christian who lives with hope? What practices can I put in place to be healthy right now? Giving yourself emotional space, connecting with other Christians, moving through a time of what we call biblical lament. Um, these are all things that um, somebody who provides spiritual care uh, is, is there to do. Um, and then finally, um, I just encourage um, anybody who's grieving to be honest with the Lord about it. Talk to him about it. He already knows the way you feel. Talk to him about it. Let him know. And, um, sit with him in his word and in prayer to, to deal with these things. Yeah. I guess I just wanted to build on your comments for just a second. Cause I, I guess I totally agree. I oftentimes people say, pastor, I need just a moment of your time. And I know you're so busy and stuff like that. Do I really give the impression that I'm too busy to talk to you? I know. I always worry about that like, too. Like I'm not too busy for that. Are you kidding? Yeah. Me? I mean, this is, this is what I think people need to know that pastors 
have a lot of experience with this. We really do. And this isn't our first rodeo. And to to be able to help people like that is actually a really it's a it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And so yeah, I guess I just wanted to say to people, don't be afraid to reach out to your pastor. I'm sure he feels a lot like I do. And just to say, like, I agree with you 100% about being honest with God. I, I Sometimes I read the Psalms and I wonder if they're appropriate, you know, because of the anger that they express, because of the sadness and the accusations against, against God, like kind of saying like, God, you messed up here. Well, one thing that the Psalms do for me and what the gospel does for me is it really opens that up. Whether the Psalms were correct prayers or not, for me, like, I don't know if I'll ever know. But what I do know is that we can pray like that. And if it is inappropriate to pray like that, we God is so good. He's so forgiving, so uh, fatherly that we can come to him like that. And, and, and sometimes that's what we need. That's what we need. We're just not, we're not ready to, to see and allow God to be God yet. And that's okay. He'll, he'll hear it. He can take it. All right. Now we got some apocalyptic imagery here. Yeah. You surprised me with that. (laughs) This is happening. You know, this is happening. Apocalyptic imagery. Here we right. go. <laughs> so this is now we're like, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive were left until the coming of the Lord. We're certainly not perceived those who fall asleep. So this is this is the good news. And just to say this, like this is one event that First Thessalonians does not teach two raptures. It teaches one rapture. This is one event. One- this the one, one rapture happens. <laughs> please notice this, because if you believe in two raptures, please notice this. The one rapture happens after the general resurrection of the dead. That's okay. right. So this this is an absolute linchpin to like. There's there is no premillennialism. There's no pro postmillennialism. Uh, come on, like you, you can't go against what Paul teaches here. And this is one big, huge, amazing, um, (laughs) just out of this world, extraordinary event that's going to happen. And and that's what you say. Like, you're right. What we have to do is just really marinate in the sights and the sounds uh, of this of this event. I, I want to read it again. It, this just a short little section here. Um, and just try to experience this as much as you listen to it. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Should I do the sound offense? With a loud command. Rise. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, yeah, you got to wonder what the loud command is. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we got sounds going here yeah. like crazy. And then now you got sights. And the dead in Christ will rise first. All right, so we got resurrection going. After that, we who are still alive are left. 
and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the way. This happens all at once. People rise from the dead. The people who are still alive are transformed um, physically. So everybody gets a new resurrection, you know, a new body. Um, those who are alive when Christ comes back um, really get it on the spot. But here's what it says after that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Um, Timothy, you're right. This is the only time the word um, rapizzo is is used, I believe, in the New Testament. Uh, this is the rapture. Um, and it's the <laughs> it's what we refer to in the creed of when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead um, and people are raised raised from the dead. So we're right in line with Orthodox Christian teaching when we say this right out of the creed, the Apostles' Creed, which is an ecumenical creed everybody believes. Um, and so Paul says, we will be with the Lord forever. Quite an event. I mean, you won't miss it. <laughs> I guess I, I, I wanted to just think about this from two perspectives and 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 just to do some sharing uh the first one is this that um a good friend of mine said this she said a book that she wrote i wasn't afraid to meet the lord because i had done that every day of my life and she was talking about facing her own death and she said, I wasn't afraid to do that because I had met with the Lord every day of my life. And so we're really talking about here spiritual disciplines then. Like uh, the day of the Lord will be like every single day of your life. Um, if you make it a priority to say, look, Father, I just want to be with you for a moment. I want to meet with you through your word and hear from you. And then on the day of the Lord, I want to I want to be in church and I want to hear from you because you love me and I need you. And basically, our great Christian hope is not for wealth or riches or um, any of these worldly things, power, anything like that. The great Christian hope is to be with Jesus. So I, I, I got to say, like, if, if someone's looking forward to be in heaven, um, but when you imagine having Jesus isn't in it, um, you're hoping for the wrong thing, right? Yeah, that's what we call <laughs> idolatry. There's a, I, there's a, there, I have a member, um, occasionally uh, he'll, he'll rant to me about this, and it's one of the reasons why I love him so much. But he sent me this um, meme uh, where there was a sort of cartoon picture and the picture of heaven was um, all these family groupings hugging each other and there's no Jesus anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be there too. Like it says we, right? That's right. That's we right. will We will be with the Lord forever. So there is that hope, you know, that mom and dad and all, all the believers will be there, but. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, kinship. Kinship is going to have a little bit different definition, and we're, we'll talk about that when we get to the holy kiss here in First Thessalonians five. But uh, the point here is like you see what the Apostle Paul, the, the big way that he encourages people is 
is not with some sort of like um, celestial cherubs uh, dancing on clouds image up there, but really he encourages Christians by saying history is is like a snowball going downhill, and eventually um, it, it's going to all blow up, and finally um, all where where history is headed, where everything has always meant to go is this moment when Jesus comes back. I mean, that's it. In in the Christian mind, in the Christian imagination, what is it that we're all waiting for? Jesus. We just want to be with him. He's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And because when he comes back, everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to get into that more in a second. <laughs> yeah, we are. There, <laughs> let's finish this section up and therefore encourage one another with these words. Like I, I, so when you go to a funeral, let's like, let's just kind of talk this out for a second. Cause I, I hear, I've heard this before. Christians often kind of offer meaningless words when they go to a funeral or to a wake or something like that. Go instead of going with, I'm I'm so sorry with your loss. Good thing to say, um, but follow it up with something like this. Um, I knew this person, and they confessed the Apostles' Creed with me every single week, and and they believed in the resurrection. And I do too, because Jesus lives, right? And we can offer that to each other. Yeah, and this, this is, is this is this is true Christian encouragement. Right. And let's do better. Like I can I just say this? Like I, I Christians. Um you're gonna say it anyway. Do <laughs> let's do better than saying somebody went to heaven. Let's do better. We can say that. We can do better. The apostle Paul did better. Um I'll uh, there's a story that's in my heart. Um I mean, I don't know if you know this one, Timothy, but when grandpa died. Uh, Grandpa Borman, um, I remember seeing his body for the first time in the casket, and it wrecked me. I was so sad. I, and I, it wasn't like bad heaving stuff, but I think Dad knew I was so sad. And I remember, I'll never forget it. He took me by the shoulders, and and he um, took me aside, and he said, Son, Grandpa's going to rise from the dead. And he did. He did First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um we can do better than than saying somebody's with Jesus. We can add the hope that we are going to rise again. That that reality is going to be reconstituted in in a in a better way. Um, we can point a, pe- people to where history's headed. You know, right? Here's another dad story. I'll never forget this one. When uh, Grandpa Monti died my mom's dad, it, we all thought that we were at the committal and we all thought everything was done. And then that's I do remember that. praise God from whom all blessings flow. He just broke out in that yeah. baritone and like yeah. cut the air with that. I remember I was stunned. Yeah. And I remember weeping, like I was just weeping. Yeah. It was beautiful encourage one another that with these words this yeah, is worship what, worship the lord this is what things. we do yeah 
take we're a deep breath everybody. there <laughs> take a deep breath everybody we're just getting going <laughs> nobody's gonna listen the whole time <laughs> <laughs> no not even mom this time <laughs> not even mom <laughs> here we go this is the next section everybody take, take a deep breath who knows if anybody's actually listening right now we'll see Oh. Hey, we're having we're having fun. We're encouraging each other. That's, I'm going to read this, you know. Timothy, and then let's get into it. Now, mm. brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, uh, each other, just as in fact you are doing. So, here we go. Uh, yeah, this is, I kind of want to, I, when I looked at this section, which is a really important section on eschatology, I kind of thought about it in three sections where, and and I, I summarized it with these phrases, and I thought we could just talk about it like this. We don't want to live um, really uptight in view of the last day. We also don't want to live up at night. Isn't that cool? Oh, man. <laughs> All right. But we want to live instead upright lives. So I oh, thought, come we on. Kinda, yeah. See, now everybody, <laughs> if you're listening right now, you're getting some insight into how we do podcasts. It's, it's discovery. We each study the text and then we come to this and then whatever happens, happens, which is terrifying in some regards. But yeah, there's there's no script for these things. But so why don't you so, go first? Well, like so in that first section, you don't want to live um, in an uptight way. And really what we're talking about, we don't want to live as if we trying to figure out. And, and reading the Bible as if we're going to be able to if we read it well enough, we're going to know when Jesus is coming, right? Well, look That's what kinda... it says. We do not need to write to you about times and dates. You know that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Right. And yet there's still people that try to figure it out. I, I'm serious. Like, I, I live in New York. I've seen it a bunch of times already. Um, Harold Camping. I still remember Harold Camping. You remember him? He, there was billboards everywhere in New York. This is a New Yorker. And he's saying, 2011, May 21st, it's coming. Um, didn't come. And then he's like, okay, it was a it was a spiritual judgment day. And now it's going to happen on October 21st, 20, 20, uh, 2011. Didn't happen. 
So like, we don't want to live in such an uptight way that we, we just gotta know um, when Jesus is coming. I actually looked on Wikipedia, the history of this, you should see. There's been so many people, we're talking hundreds who thought Jesus coming 1100, Jesus coming 1500, Jesus coming 1600, Jesus coming 2011. And it, um, it's embarrassing. Oh my yeah. goodness. It's yeah. embarrassing. This Jesus Christ, our Lord, told us that um, not even he knew uh, when he was coming back, according to his humanity. Um, we got to we got to stop this. I, I want to let's let's make some applications right away. Um, one, <laughs> please be careful about who you listen to. Please, 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 please. Um, and I, I also want to say this. I, I think that sometimes it's difficult to discern when you're listening to a crazy preacher and when you're listening to an Orthodox Christian committed um, Bible teaching. And I, I, I think the differences um, sometimes can be subtle because, for example, um, I am not a preacher. I will never tell you when I think Jesus is coming back because I don't know. And because and the scriptures don't they're, they're not they're not written clearly they're not written it's going to be a thief in the night Paul says um, the first way that you can tell somebody's gone too far is if they deny what Jesus and his apostles teach if they are trying to discern a date turn it off turn it off <laughs> that's a really good good place to start um, if they're more interested here's the second one. If they're more interested in their own thoughts about the Bible than the Bible itself, turn it off. <laughs> if they are not focusing you on Christ, turn it off. <laughs> when, you, when you read the eschatology in the Bible, it's always focused on Christ. If what you have is you're listening to some person on YouTube who's discerning something about the end of the world, and they're not focusing you on Christ and on his teaching, turn it off. <laughs> I, it was interesting. There's a, there's a, there's a, I've had, I've had a couple of members, um, and I love that I'm having these conversations with the members, but I've had a couple of members share YouTube videos with me recently. And, and they say, can you help me discern this? Is this, is this right? And one of them is this guy, this pastor out of Tennessee, and he's, he's had this dream. And apparently a lot of people are listening to this guy right now. And one of the things that one of his suggestions about how to react to the current moment is um, to buy guns, <laughs> turn it off. I, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not in the Bible. Um, so, <laughs> you know, what? I, I, I recently took a little time off. That's not to just, say you can't buy guns, yeah. by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> there, there's a book called Educated. It, it, it's a memoir written by uh, a Mormon lady, and um, it's beautifully written. And she she talks about how her father um was constantly living this kind of what I'm calling an, this uptight life where he was always thinking um, the Lord's coming back. You know, they're the Mormon version of Jesus. And 
he bought guns. They were always prepared. They were against the federal government. He had a bunker. You know, he was trying to create his own energy system. And living like that, it, it I mean, read it. You read the, the book Educated. It, it's ruinous for spiritual life to live like that. Just absolutely ruinous. And if this memoir shows anything, it's just that. It's well, I, I, I wanna I wanna draw, I'm a pastor. I want to draw some spiritual applications out of this. And, and here here's the first one. Why why is it that the internet is full of preachers who want to make predictions about certain things that they really can't make predictions of? I, I'll tell you why. Because human nature is constantly drawn to what I'll call special knowledge. See, what mm -hmm. God wants us to do is rely on his word. He wants us to hold him to his word and his promises. And what we want to do naturally is we want to be in the know about everything. You know, we don't, we don't want to have to um, live by faith. Um, we want to know that Jesus is coming back in, in, in 49 days. You know, we don't want to have to go, I, you know, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. So uh, we are drawn to special knowledge instead of living by the word. Um, and also, the, the next contrast I want to draw, draw is we're drawn to living by knowledge and by sight instead of by faith. See, God wants us to live by faith. And we want to live by sight. We want to know everything. We want to know the details. We want to know what's going to happen in October. We want to, we want, we want to know everything. And if we think we can get a grasp on everything, we're going to tune in like nuts on that stuff. But what God gives us instead is his word. He gives us his word and his promises. So we live by faith. And that's what I care about as a pastor is I want people to live by faith. Because that's what God wants us to do. We don't know everything that's going to happen. We don't understand everything that's going on. God does. And it's important for us to live by faith. And that's why I care about this so much. Yeah. So, like, you're basically you're wanting to pull people back to the middle. Not an extreme way of uh, what I'm calling living a super uptight life in view of the day of the Lord. But you also like to move to the other extreme which Paul talks about is to live as if there is no day of the Lord. That's, that's equally dangerous, if not more ruinous for your spiritual life. And he describes this, like he, he says there's going to be people and he actually has like this direct discourse. Like it's, it's really moving. And where he says, there's going to be people saying peace and safety. And in my mind, like there's this comic strip and these, these people, if you're familiar with New York City, like they're on Metro North, they're like on this train or like the Long Island Railroad and the train is like moving like a speeding bullet, but the tracks end right over this ditch and they're, they're, the people are drinking because that's what they do in New York on, on, on Jersey Transit or like Metro North, everybody's drinking, it's a Friday afternoon and they're saying peace and safety, but the train is going over this cliff um, and they're all about to, to die. Well, exactly. And and, and 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 you can't pull it back. Here's the thing. Like he, the apostle Paul's got another, sorry to jump in. Like, no, keep he's going. Got, he's got this other metaphor and he's, he's like, you can't pull it back. It's like, it's, it, it's like this, not gonna this pregnant woman and um, 
the labor pains are coming on, but the people of this world are like trying to push the baby back in, you know, like go back in there, but the baby's coming out. See, <laughs> you got to get to the There's, hospital. I mean, this is happening. Yeah, now. Like this, whether you like it or not, the day of the Lord's coming and to live as if it weren't to, to, to live a drunken life, to live a life um, at night sort of <laughs> a life that is simply ungodly, you know, the greedy life, the immoral life, the, the life that takes advantages of others, like, and, and then to say like, oh, there's going to be no judgment for it. God's not coming. I, I have to say, you're a fool. If you, if you want to like, you're just a fool. This world, I mean, what you're saying is this world has a, a, a great telos. That's that's what we say in Greek. It has a goal. It's going somewhere. And ultimately, there is going to be justice for everything. And we, uh, it is necessary to be, um, to be ready for that. And the Apostle Paul, we got to get into these metaphors because he's got two metaphors um, for uh, living in unreality of this. Um, and they're, they both have to do with, um, I guess, what I would call intoxication. The one is drunkenness. The one is drunkenness. So, you know, what, what does drunkenness do? Um, if you think about it, it dulls your senses. It dulls your sense of reality. Um, that's why it feels good to drink. It, 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 it dulls you to what's really going on. So you don't feel as much pain. And so you can feel happier. So drunkenness, um, dulls your senses of, of reality and actually sleepiness does the same thing. That's the other metaphor, um, that we got here. Sleepiness is, um, Another metaphor, and Timothy. This is where I got to tell a story that you were involved with. <laughs> uh oh. Would you remember that one time we were driving south on I 35 um, home to Houston, Texas? Um, and it was the middle of the night in Oklahoma. We, we were in our, yeah. remember, we owned that Saturn together and we were just yeah. pounding south. And I'm not, I'm, I'm ashamed of this. I, I'm not proud of this at all, but I was driving and I was tired. You know, we had stayed up for semester tests and you know how co college kids act so dumb. I was, I was probably dumb too. And I thought I could be a hero and drive all night. Well, I was tired and I was coming. I remember there was this part in Oklahoma and I was going way too fast and a police officer pulled me over Um and I'll never forget what he said. He he said, young man, do you know how fast you're going? And I said, I, I don't. I Because remember that Saturn, <laughs> there was no cruise control on that car. Yeah. That was as basic as you get. And um, I, I really didn't know how fast I was going. I said, no, sir, I, I don't know how fast I was going. And and um, he he he, um, he got out of me that I was pretty tired, and he and he. I'll never forget. He sent us off. He sent me off with a warning, and he said, "Young man, um, driving sleepy is just as bad as driving drunk." And he explained to me that your reaction time's slow, and 
he's 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 that that police officer i'm indebted to him probably for saving my life on more than one occasion or at least an accident and i'm so thankful to god that he taught me that but the point here is that sleepiness also dulls your senses to reality you don't know fully what's going on yeah there's actually a third metaphor in here it's darkness darkness and yeah, you can't see. There you go. So you can't see everything if, that's going on. Like if you think about the biblical motifs through, for like Satan, for disorientation, it's always darkness. It's always wilderness. You're groping. There's, and There's no fixed point. Like you can't, you don't know where you're going. You, you could walk out, off a cliff at any time. It's, it's, there's a reason why these metaphors serve us to help us, you know, understand just what satan can do just what sin does in our life so when you this is what i think i could wrap up my thoughts on on this particular section by telling you this what happens when you're not living on a timeline see there's no past there's really only the present and there's no future when you don't understand reality where it's all going that there's going to be a judgment day then you only live in the moment. And this is where um, uh, the movie Rent is, or um, the musical Rent, I'm not proposing you should watch it, by the way. There's a lot of problems with it. But um, the, the musical Rent has a song that says, no day but today. No day but today. And the idea is if there's no day but today, there's no night but tonight, then you live and you do whatever you want. There's no morality anymore. and that's what's going on here. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And the thing that breaks into that reality is we have to say this, like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we have this key verse, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And, and there's an exegetical question there. Like, are we talking about who who are the people that are asleep? Or is it the dead people or who are physically dead or is it the spiritually dead? I, um, I, I think it's both. <laughs> I think it's both. And, and that's extremely comforting. So if you're sleeping right now, wake up. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He paid for all your sins and he has appointed you not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. Well, it, this is a high point in, in Paul's letter right here. This yeah, is so exactly. So what? What? how do you get sober? How do you sober up, right? It's not, how do you, how do you wake up? How do you see in the dark? How do you do that? You do it like Paul said it. And do not miss here that what the Apostle Paul is doing, remember this is, we think this is one of his earlier, earliest books, perhaps the first one he wrote. And so this predates the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter six is where he develops this armor imagery in a more comprehensive way. And he's got that beautiful um, metaphor developed fully, but here he's got it just partially developed. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And so uh, I, 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 Boy, oh boy, oh boy, we could get into this for a long time. Um, let me get into it just for a second. Um, 
first of all, what I just want to do is just put this on a timeline for listeners. He's got faith, which you could say faith looks backwards. And what faith says about the past is that our sin is forgiven, you know? So our past is, has been rewritten by the blood of Jesus. Um, so our past is fine. We don't have to, re, we, you know, when we meet God in the end, we don't have to be like, oh man, I wonder, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen. Jesus Christ died for us. Our past is forgiven. And the Apostle Paul says, put on that faith as a breastplate. It guards your heart. Um, and then secondly, he's, he's, he says, um, put on love as a breastplate. We could, if we were going to put love on a timeline, we could put it in the present. We could say, this is the love of God. You know, a, a lot of people think the breastplate might be love that, that people express to God. I think it's actually divine love for us. Um, we are confident in the present because our God is our rock and our salvation. He's our shield. He's our rampart. Uh, now I'm going like all psalmic. People, you know, you think of all these. <laughs> he's the thing that we look to in our present. And who doesn't need to hear that today? <laughs> I mean, I need to hear that um, with everything that's going on. God loves us. That guards our hearts. It makes us okay in the moment. Um, and then if, if we're doing this timeline, he's got hope. Hope is, is confidence um, in the future, the writer the, to the Hebrews says. So our past is covered, our present is covered, and also our future is covered. Paul says, put that on as a helmet so that, you know, when you're thinking about in your mind what's going to happen, God has got this. Christ has got this. I don't have to be I don't have to be concerned and see when your past is covered, your present is covered, your future is covered. You can wake up to reality. You can say, you know what? I'm, God loves me. I want to live for him. He is my light. He is my salvation. And um, because I'm not appointed to suffer. And that's what it gives you hope. It gives you joy. It gives you peace. And you start living for God. Um, shut me down. I. <laughs> it's yeah, so important. It is. And. The, the Apostle Paul says again, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. So I, I just wanted to say this, like, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is to give you encouragement. But also, I think just a, a brief word on what true encouragement is. Uh, I think a lot we've a lot of times we think encouragement is flattery that you're doing a really good job, man. You're really good. You're really good at that. Um, when the apostle Paul talks about encouraging, he always talks about what God has done and what God will do. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to do true biblical encouragement, you have to base it in the promises of God and in the, in the character of God and who he is in Jesus Christ to say, your sins are forgiven. Now that's encouragement, right? <laughs> you I have know. a good future with God because he's promised it. That's encouragement. It's not and flattery. Th that's I want to I want to close the section to the with just one last comment cuz there you you mentioned this exegetical question and I, and I want to I want to just mention it myself. Here's what it says in verse 9. 
For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's where the exegetical question comes in. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, um, the question is, what does it mean to be awake or asleep in this section? The Apostle Paul has used that metaphor in two different ways in, in the near context, actually. In, um, in, in right here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's used sleep as a metaphor for death. Um, in the nearer context, however, he's used sleep as a metaphor for um, intoxication, really. You're not fully aware of reality. Uh, it's a very difficult exegetical question. I'm not going to try to be determinative on it, but I, I, I do want to um, suggest that quite possibly what Paul is giving you here is an incredible gospel statement. Um, if you interpret this in line with the near context, what the Apostle Paul is saying is your salvation is not determined by how awake you are. You know, there, there's a sense in, what, in, in which none of us are, are morally awake enough. We're just not. Um, we're not in line with God's will enough. We are still sinners. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that our salvation is not built on our performance or our awakeness. Our, it's built on, on Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf. And that is some good news. Section number two is done. <laughs> <laughs> this is a monster podcast. Oh, oh man. <laughs> we did it, though. We're two-thirds of the way there. You think anybody's listening still? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. Take a deep breath. <laughs> we got 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28 to go. We can do it. We can do it. I wanted to start in this way. Um, I want to. I want you to imagine a church where the people say about the pastor, "He's a good man." No, he's not only a good man; he's a godly man. And when you're around him, all he wants to do is care about you and talk about Jesus. And I want you to imagine a church where this pastor works really hard. He works sometimes really long hours. And then I want you to imagine a church where, where the people are actually loving each other. They're actually living in, in powerful uh, community where they encourage each other, just like Paul says to encourage one another. Wouldn't this be a community that you want to be a part of? <laughs> like, isn't, <laughs> isn't this a church, um, a community of, of people where you'd really want to, to, to be there, you know, every week, if you can, um, what we, this is what the apostle Paul is laying out here in this early part of our third section, one, one uh, commentator said, what the Apostle Paul is going to give us in these last verses here 
it's like a staccato of instructions. It's almost like he's dropping his kid off in college. Like imagine the college student and, and mom saying, okay, now make sure to take your medicine and uh, do your laundry every week. And it's, it's a staccato of instructions. It's like a signing off. And another commentator said right here, what you have here are the jewels that crown the Christian life. These are the jewels that, that crown the Christian life. So this is really what we're going to be getting into here in this third section. I, I think we probably need to read it. I'm going to read it. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So we... um, uh, we we did a Bible class on this. I, I know you did this at your church and I did it at mine too. And in the Bible class, it was kind of, we kind of had fun with it. And we said, here's 11 things that your pastor was never allowed to tell you before. Did you do that Bible study too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I broke it up a little bit. Um, but it was like that, like two things the church will give its pastor, <laughs> which would be, did you have that too? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so two, thing, two things that the church will give its pastor. That's how I started. Mm-hmm. And that would be um, acknowledge, acknowledgement and the highest regard. Well, so let's get into that in a second. I, I do want to make just one exegetical comment I think is important. It says in verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those um, uh, who work hard among you there's a little bit, uh, I'm not sure how helpful it is that it says brothers and sisters there. I, I think that probably is just talking about um, male pastors. Um, just so we kind of get in our minds what's going on here. These are um, instructions about pastoral work. And so that's why that's why I bring this up. Two things the church will give to the pastor. Right. And so the first one is just, Acknowledgement, acknowledgement, like that the pastor does work hard, that that the work that he does is not easy work. And it's 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 not like he's living the necessarily like the easy life. And just to acknowledge that about about his work, um, acknowledge him. And and there's good reasons to do that. I know there's in October, it's like what do they call that pastoral appreciation month, but maybe you don't have to limit it to October. Maybe the biggest comment here that Paul makes is, is what one commentator said quite beyond measure. It's, it's an electrifying comment from the apostle Paul. Well, he has here, it hold them in the highest regard and love. It's yeah. I mean, that's that goes it sounds like it goes beyond even like the fourth commandment where it says honor your father and mother but maybe it's just saying the same thing either way like hold them in the highest 
regard. So <laughs> one, one thing that there's usually two extremes when it comes to how people view um, their called pastor. Um, one would be is that they actually despise him. That would be one extreme where you kind of have this view of him that he's a slob, that he's lazy, that he's judgmental. Uh, and, and this is actually like he's boring, you know, like uh, you have no regard for him whatsoever. Uh, and then the other extreme would be idolization. Like he can do no wrong. The guy is an absolute saint. I can't believe how awesome he is. And I actually asked my church because I, I, I thought like which – which danger is is more prevalent for the Christian? Is it despising clergy or is it holding them up too high on a pedestal? And <laughs> I thought that they would say despising him. I, I really did, because it seems like clergy, after the Catholic sexual abuse scandals and everything else, that clergy are more and more being sort of marginalized in Christian life but my church kind of said the greater danger would be to idolize him, that you would take what he says and does is like he can do no wrong. And you cease to search the scriptures for yourself and to understand that he is, he's a sinner too. I, I don't know if you, if you asked your church the same thing, but that, that for me was like a really interesting thing to talk about. I think that really woke calls. me up too. Yeah. It, yeah. That really woke me up. I I um I thought it was a great interaction for me as a pastor. It was really shaped me actually because it was a, it was a moment where I could have a moment with my church and really talk about like how how do you feel about having a pastor and and how do you view the pastoral office and and I asked that same question. Do you think that pastors are generally marginalized or is, is it more that we could go the other extreme and, and think too highly of them? And I thought people would say that pastors were looked down on. And part of that's just maybe being a pastor. You, you, I think maybe my views have been skewed a little bit and, Maybe part of it's because I'm sensitive in the culture to treatments of pastors. Like you see treatments of pastors in, in The Simpsons. You see treatments of pastors in movies and stuff. And, and generally speaking, pastors aren't, aren't treated real well. And maybe I'm sensitive to that and I'm, and I'm shaped more by the culture but than by, you know, how God's people actually see pastors. But I had the same exact experience Um my church was telling me that the greater danger was actually elevating pastors too much. And you can actually see that in the culture too. Like the celebrity pastor business is big business. Um, it's huge yeah. business. Um, there are people who don't even pastor people um, who are doing videos and um, making money and, and doing stuff um, with the Bible. And um, people follow that stuff. And um, 
there can be idolization on the other extreme. So I, I think that um, on the one hand, you can be pastored by somebody who's not really your pastor, and that's an extreme. And that can be an idolization like a celebrity pastor culture. And on the other hand, you can despise your local pastor. But what this is saying is um, local pastors are incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. So two, those are two things, two things that you can give to your pastor and that the Apostle Paul encourages you to give to your pastor. Then we had three things that the pastor will give to you. And I, I think the first thing that we have to say is there's a, a built-in assumption here that Christians will have spiritual leaders, that Christians will have uh, pastors in their life. So if you don't have one, you're going to want to get one. <laughs> okay. Well, and, I, can I speak strong on this? And I'm doing this. And just like in ask my... one into your life. Be like, will you please be my master? <laughs> well, this is where I, I do, I don't know who pays attention to this stuff, but I do want to call, if, if if you want to be a sincere Christian and listen to God's word, that's a huge assumption. And I, I think there are some Christians who do need to repent on this. I, I've run across a number of Christians who refuse to put themselves under authority. They want to, they want to church hop. They They want to do their own thing. They want to think that it's okay to take some Bible course uh, out of somewhere and, and be informed without knowing. Uh, and the problem with that, it's, it's, it's like, it's like getting doctored by WebMD, Timothy. Um, yeah. That I, I'm sorry, but that doesn't work. You need somebody who needs to know you and your spirituality and what, uh, how God has made you and how Satan is going to attack you. Um, having a pastor is um, something God expects. Yeah, it's 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 an assumption. It's just it reminds me. This section reminds me a little bit like uh, Genesis one one, where there's this, this assumption, this built-in assumption that that there is a God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and God's not going to argue for His own existence. And it, it, he, he the Apostle Paul doesn't come out and say it like everybody needs to have a pastor. He just assumes it like you're going to have someone with spiritual authority over you. And there's three things that you can expect from, from your pastor. And I'm just going to um, name it out loud. The, he says, um, well, help me out, Jonathan. He's got work hard among you. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Go, cares for going. you and admonishes you. There we go. Right. Work hard among you. I mean, we, we, we got to start start there. Work hard among you. Uh, people yeah, so <laughs> yeah, we got to, you have to blow up that notion that pastors are only working on Sundays. It's just, it's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true. And I think most Christians kind of get that. Like there's, there's so much um, that, that pastors do and and the expectations for pastors have only gone up it's being a pastor has only gotten harder over time not easier it's been <laughs> it's gotten more complex yeah. and and my my question to just to help i think sometimes we wonder like what what do pastors do and, and those are valid questions i i want to propose this question back how long does it take to deal with people 
a long time. You know, I was um, one of the things that I set out to do this week is I wanted to it, it, to talk to a bunch of my members, and every time I think, you know, you set out these goals, like I want I, I want to talk to, I'm I'm going to call through a large part of the church directory. I just want to love people and find out what's going on in their lives. And, and I set out so hard and um, it was great. And I got through like 10 phone calls. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, and it's wonderful work. Like you have these conversations, but the, it all takes time and time enables people to finally come out with what's going on. Time allows people to actually speak. Um, into the world, what they're caring about and what they're seeing. And um, so people people take time and that's good and that's wonderful. Um, but that that is part of what uh, dealing with people and, and helping people deal with God, um, there's no shortcuts for that. You know, you can't just, it's not being, I know, being a doctor of souls is a little bit different from being being a doctor of the body. Doctor of the body, you try to see how how you make the knee work, but with the soul, there's a a bazillion things to explore and understand before you can really help somebody. Yeah. So you can you can expect hard work from your pastor. You can. The second thing would be you can expect pastoral care. That's what he says. Like um, the Greek actually says those who stand in front of you he those who stand in front of you so there's this incredible pastoral care that you can expect like he your life um he's gonna care about your life like you can expect him to ask sometimes deeply intimate questions and i've done that you can expect him if, if you skip communion to call you up and say hey um that's not something you normally do can can you explain that to me can you help me understand what's going on in your life or if you, he hasn't seen you in church or something like that that you're going to be he's going to be interested to know like can we serve you in some way and that you would be interested in in conversing with him and letting him know what's happening so you can expect that kind of pastoral care in your life and then the third thing would be in it's admonishment you can expect admonishment from your pastor. And I think this is a really important thing. Um, today, nobody wants to hear that, that maybe they can do things a little bit better, that maybe there's sin in your life. Nobody wants to hear that. So nobody, nobody's admonishing anymore. No, nobody's doing it except your pastor. If there's, who in your life is going to call you out? Who in your life is going to say, this can't be because Jesus loves us too much and he's and he's sacrificed too much for us to live this way. Who's going to do that in your life? And it, it, it has to be your pastor and you got to let him do it. You know, sometimes, Timothy, I, I totally agree with you. There's a there's a couple things. One is I, I want to encourage people to pray for your pastor, whoever your pastor is, stick them in your prayers. Um, I, I know I have my members praying for me. People tell me that all the time. And one of the things that I'd ask you to pray for specifically is this. Pray to God for your pastor that he's hard on the hard people and he's soft with the, with the soft people. That he delivers care and admonishment appropriately. 
Sometimes it's so easy as a pastor to flip-flop the two and do it wrong. You admonish somebody that you should care about, and you care about somebody that you should admonish. And this is where discernment and wisdom is required by the pastor. You got to be hard with hard people, and you got to be soft with soft people. And and doing that um, takes a special measure of the Holy Spirit. So pray for your pastor on that. Um, and then secondly, tune into your pastor. Tune in. Um, pastors are um, they try to use a lot of wisdom and and how to admonish people specifically. And admonishment is going to look different with different people. I, I noticed like I, I pastor a lot of people who are older than me and and for for some of my members, like I could be their son. And you know, the scriptures are very explicit about that. I'm not to rebuke an older man um, inappropriately or admonish them inappropriately. I need to treat that person like I would treat my dad and I, I'm not going to come at him like a fire breathing dragon, you know. Um, I'm going to be very gentle and humble um, as I deliver an admonishment. But if somebody's younger than me or the same age as me, I might just say, you know what? <laughs> um, that's, come on. You know, we know better than that. And see, there's you just have to tune into your pastor. What is the relationship that you have with your pastor? Is there an age difference? Um, is there a personality difference? How do we, how do we communicate in ways that are appropriate um, admonishment? So on the one hand, that requires wisdom from the pastor, but on the other hand, it requires um, a listener who's receptive and really listening to um, the communication that the pastor is putting out. Yeah, I, one of the one of the ways that I often admonish people is I I'll ask them really pointed questions sometimes, and at times I'm a little bit surprised that that people don't take time to reflect on what I'm asking them. It's a, I'm like, can you think about this a little bit more? I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you uncover what's really going on spiritually in your heart. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I agree with you because sometimes instead of just pointing out what you think you see as a pastor, you want to help people um, make sure that you're not wrong about it. And so you want to help draw it out with, a series of questions. So admonishment can look like that too. Here's what the word of God says. Can, can you help me understand how, how you're seeing this and how this is working in your life? So there you go. Uh, we got five things down. Now we got six things for the entire community. This is the pastor side of the, this was the pastor side of the question. Now we're going to go to the community side of the question. You do see that sort of um, flip here. Um, sort of in the middle, we got a couple more things that pastors are going to do. And then there's a, a number of things that the whole community is going to do together. Right. So we have warning the idle and the disruptive. Uh, so you, you, you can't let disruptive and idleness um, tear apart the church. You just, you just can't do it. So you warn them. And like it says in other parts of scripture, warn a divisive person once and twice, and then you third time and you ask them to leave. And that's sometimes really the hardest thing, thing to do. But what Christians need to be able to worship God is peace. So you warn, you warn the idle and, and the disruptive, you 
you encourage the the disheartened and we talked a lot about that earlier in the podcast people who are grieving people who are depressed people who have lost loved ones that and what that encouragement sounds like uh, you help the weak so you lift up those who aren't privileged like we're not we're not talking about the gospel of the United States, which often says that you, you help yourself and you work hard for yourself. Like you actually want to reach down, whether it's spiritually or, or um, when we're talking about material things, that you would help the weak. Um, may, maybe it's talking about temptation, that you would help people get through temptation. So these, and then, um, you would help the weak. You'd be patient with everyone. And then it sounds a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount. Make sure that nobody pays wrong, back wrong for wrong. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So the Christian community is really active, right? That People are helping each other. They're warning. They're, they're encouraging. They're lifting up. They're being patient. It's, a, it's really a beautiful. This is like, I just want to say this. This is what the Christian church offers the world. Like when, when you kind of look out at the world, it's it's just this big disaster right now. Everybody's hating each other. It's, it's really divisive. Oh my goodness. And and I want to say, like, come to church, people. The community that you're looking for, the loving community, the community that actually wants to push people forward and where it can actually happen in loving relationships is happening right now. It's just not happening out in the world or in the government. It happens in the church. It, and it's such, it's like you said, it's such a difference from what we know culturally is we live in a culture that's hyper individualistic. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want with no regard for anybody else. And the apostle Paul says, wait a minute, we are to live for each other. And um, I, I think you covered those six things really, really well. I, I maybe add just these couple comments. The first thing is, it is so important to live with what I call a priestly heart and priestly ears. You, it is one of the most difficult things I think in Christian life is to understand what is going on with this person. Is this person like a, a hard-boiled sinner right now? And all they want to do is be divisive. If that's what's going on, you not we we need to move swiftly and quickly to move them out of the community. That's what the Bible says. You cannot put up with idle and disruptive people. They wreck churches. And anybody who knows me as a pastor knows that that's true. I I love people, and I'm gentle as the day is long, and I think my ministry attests to that. But when people are idle or disruptive in the community, they're running their mouth about stuff. I move fast because God's people need to live in peace and harmony with each other. And we can't have people being idle and disruptive. It ruins the church. But on the other side, um, it's possible that somebody is looking like a hard boiled egg, but on the inside, they're really hurting for some reason and they need to be encouraged. And that's where it's required. It's so necessary to have spiritual discernment, to ask good questions, to have spiritual insight on what's really going on so that we can truly minister to people in Christian community. 
There it is. We're we're off. Basically, what we're doing is we're offering the Christian church as a counter community to the world. And, and it's we're not saying it's a perfect place. That's not what Paul's claiming here. But he is saying it's a place where people are going to grow. You have to grow. <laughs> you will. You will. Because we help each other do that. And then now he's going to get really staccato, like through the rest of the letter. It's rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. Uh, Jonathan, I know you got some stuff on this. Let me let the horse out of the barn. You know, <laughs> should I read it? Yeah, this read is the last it. part of the letter. This yeah. is the last part of the letter, and we're gonna. This, this is so beautiful how he closes out. We're almost there. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Oh, man. Um, I think what we have to do is let me just do a quick um, analysis so we don't lose um, the forest for the trees. The Apostle Paul, he's got a number of sections here. He's got a section on Christian community, and that's verses 12 through 15, if you're looking in your Bibles. And then he's got, which is, so I could, I think we could think of that as horizontal community, horizontal community, side to side community. And then he's got a section on what I'll call vertical community. Verses 16, 17, and 18 are, in, in the NIV at least, they're set apart appropriately. These are instructions about about our relationship with God, a vertical relationship with God. And some people at peace will remember that I actually preached just a sermon on those three verses. Um, They are an ocean and a thimble, Um, just profound things. And I think we should get into that a little bit more, these instructions about how to live with God in peace. Um, Then he's got a little special instruction on how to deal with prophecies, and that's verses 19 through 22. He's got a closing blessing and just a few closing um, verses with 25 through 28 after that final sort of cumulative blessing. So that's the structure, the overall structure. And what I want to do now, Timothy, is is pick up um, what I call an ocean and a thimbleful, which is these, these instructions on how to live with God how to live with God in peace. And so let's start with um, rejoice always. <laughs> yeah. This is this these are the verses that everybody kind of sort of tries out at Thanksgiving. <laughs> right, right, right. You right. know, like it's Thanksgiving Day worship and everything's good. You got the turkey in the oven and the Macy's Day parade is on the tv and the lines are going to play later in the day and there everyone says give thanks in all circumstances um and then the pastor always says it's easy to give thanks today 
But what about what happens during a pandemic? So cliche, about, right? Yeah. What? A, <laughs> so, uh, but it's a legitimate thing, you know, to think about how to, how to rejoice under and give thanks in in all circumstances. Well, so that means re- your Thanksgiving has nothing to do with it. You have to disconnect your rejoicing and your Thanksgiving from outward circumstances right away off the bat. You got to unhitch your wagon from it. Yeah. It it's, if Paul just said rejoice, um, that is doable. People rejoice, you know, you can at at certain points, (laughs) people rejoice. Like when you graduate from high school, you have a birthday party, you, um, get a job promotion or something like that. People, people rejoice. What, what makes this uniquely Christian is the rejoicing always part. It's the adverb that does it. (laughs) It's really the adverb that does it. And I think what, what I want to do is, is push on these, um, the way that, that, that the apostle Paul makes these absolute statements, you know, he's got in all circumstances, he's got always, I want to push on that in, in two ways. First of all, I, I think you, you're right that what we have to do is disconnect our rejoicing from our out, outward circumstances. And, and one of the ways that we do that is we place our hearts with God. We place our hearts with God. So this is like where in Colossians it says, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. So your heart is placed with God in heaven. And one of the things that I did with my church is when I was working them through this, is I I just took them through the Psalms. Like where when you where, when you're in the Psalms, where do the psalmists place your heart with God? And they have all these adjectives about who He is and all these verbal ideas about what He does. And when we fill our hearts with what God is doing um, and who God is, we can always, always, always. Um, rejoice and and I think I think that what what we can do as Christians is fill our minds with the Word of God so that so that we're doing that more and more. See, I think what we do so often is we stay too too much on earth. You know, we look at everything that's going on. We we, we read the papers. We're listening to what's going on in other people's lives, and it's crazy and it's chaos and it's sad and it's tragic. And it's um, and it's angering, uh, but when we take our minds and our hearts and we place them with Christ in God, um, we can always rejoice about who He is and what we know He's ultimately doing for us. And one of the ways that I like to do work on this with my daughter is um, it, there's a story I, I, I I've told before, but we um, took an acorn. And we went in our backyard and we planted it. And, uh, you know, you you take this acorn, you bury it in the ground. And it's like, I was thinking about how people die, how we die. And as I was doing that, I'm thinking about how even when we die and our bodies get planted in the ground like an acorn, in the worst moments, which is the worst moment of our earthly life when we die, my heart's still with God in heaven, realizing I'm going to be resurrected. So what I'm saying is we can transcend 
whatever suffering, whatever hardship is going on in our lives by thinking about who our God is and what he's doing for us. There's there's one way I think about this is it's what do we see? What do we see? And one of my members, I, I had this, I had this moment with her and she took me outside her apartment and she said, I want you pastor, look at this. There's this giant crane and they're building these skyscrapers here in New York city. And this is in Manhattan. And she said, doesn't it look like a cross? I mean, it was, it was like just um, 40, 50 stories high. And she said, I like to come out here and look at that. See, and it, she said, that's how big Jesus cross is in my life. And everything else is smaller. Everything else. See, and hopefully that's what you're seeing, what that can do when it, it matters what we're looking at in our life. When, when we can look up and we see Jesus cross and it's so gigantic in our lives, and everything else, we're like these little peons on a Manhattan sidewalk. Everything else just gets so much smaller. And what what rises up as we look up is joy. And and what rises up, what bubbles to the surface is prayer. And um, thanksgiving in all circumstances then. See, the, the secret is to make Jesus really, really big. So this is how we transcend our circumstances. But then the second clause in here is pray unceasingly. Pray unceasingly. I told you it's the adverbs that are. <laughs> the adverbs get you. Um, it's the pray unceasingly part. I, I, I've, um, humans pray. Um, humans pray. We know that. And, and in fact, in um, this COVID time, uh, people are praying more and more and more. And um, I think it is. I think it is important to remember, though, as Christians, that just because praying somebody's praying doesn't mean that they're being heard. Um, Jesus does teach us that it's necessary to pray in His name, you know, and in His authority. We we cannot come into the presence of the Father without Him and be heard. We can't expect that. We're sinners. We just we can't do it. The privilege we have, the encouragement we have, and this is where you know when 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 it says we can pray unceasingly, what that means is that there is never a time. I mean, think about this. There's never a time when we as Christians cannot um, come into the presence of God. I mean, think about the grace of that. <laughs> It, I mean, it's amazing. A lot of Christians, they come to this and they're like, wow, that sounds like a really big chore, you know, praying all the time. And um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, you can, do you realize what Paul is saying? Like, no matter where you are, no matter how much scum and trash you ended up, you were, you, you just put into the universe, you can come into the presence of God. Think about how different this difference different this is um, from like, for example, um, um, the religion of Islam. They, they, they can only pray when they've washed themselves appropriate, when they're facing the right direction, when they are 
um, at the correct time of day. The Christian can pray anywhere, anytime, in any condition. <laughs> this is the grace of Jesus. And he wants us to, too. He's calling us to do this. So what I'm trying to do, Tim, is he's like, I, I think people here pray unceasingly, and, and, they, and they're like, whoa, you know, Gethsemane prayers all day, every day, <laughs> strenuous, like there's, there's sweat, like there's sweat pouring off me. And what I'm trying to do is this is not an unbearable um, command. This is an unbelievable privilege, unbelievable privilege that we get to go to God in prayer um, all, all, all the time. And so, so Timothy, I, I want to give some suggestions about how this might look before I, I make a, a spiritual application. So how, how can we pray unceasingly? Um, ready? One, pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> pray it often. You know, Jesus, when, when we asked Jesus as his disciples, how should we pray? Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It's awesome. And fill it with meaning as you pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It's all in there. That's what I tell people. Anybody who will listen, anything you want to pray about is already in there. It's covered in one of the clauses. I promise you, it's in there. You can pray the Lord's Prayer. So that's one suggestion. Um, second suggestion, I call them arrow prayers. Arrow prayers are are sometimes one word long, or they're five word long, five words long. It's like shooting a quick arrow to God. I remember I, I was driving in a car um, on a highway with my brother-in-law. This was many years ago now. Very formative time in my life, though. I was driving in a car. I'll never forget it. You're driving on, we're driving on the side. We were probably going 65, 60, 60 miles an hour. All of a sudden, this SUV turns in front of us. There was no way we were going to miss it. I had a fraction of a second before we T-boned him. And we did T-bone him at um, 60 miles an hour. And I remember that I had one moment to pray. And I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> I just said it in my heart. And then the collision happened. And I still remember after the collision, you know, when after you go through a collision like that, that's so traumatic. Um, if one of the weird things that happened, at least for me, is I remember asking myself, am I alive? <laughs> I, I, I asked, that was my first question I asked myself, am I alive? Because I, I, my ears were ringing and all I saw was smoke. And then, and everything was like, like distorted reality. Like I couldn't, my senses weren't taking everything in. So I asked this question, am I alive? And then I, my next thought was, is this car going to blow up? Because it, it was smoking, and I think I thought there was fire on the hood. It was really bad, and th so then I I I looked over at, at the driver, um, Daniel, our brother-in-law, and I was like, "Are you okay? We should get out of here." And then we both ended up being able to get out of the car and step off to the side of the road. And you know, we were dazed and confused and stuff, but but we were safe. But I the point is, I prayed in a. I, in in about a fraction of a second, an arrow prayer is is it's an, another example of unceasing prayer. You know, 
Um, and then uh, the, the last, I got two more suggestions. One is um, pray at set times. Uh, pray when you get up. Pray when you go to bed. Maybe pray at noontime. You know, that was the Daniel model in the Bible. Um, and then the last time is pray at key moments in your life. Uh, Jesus shows us that, you know, like when he calls the 12, he prays. When he's uh, uh, going to die the next day, he prays. Um, pray at key moments in your life. And and that's maybe when you have your Gethsemane prayers where, you, you know, you're sweating it out with God. You're wrestling with him like Jacob once did. And you you pray. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I got one more. I know you're getting exhausted. I got. I am. I'm getting tired. <laughs> uh, I want. I want to just share share this story because I look. I know that this is God's law. It can weigh on stuff. So I want you to know first a gospel thought about prayer. I want you to know that when you're not praying for yourself, Jesus is praying for you. Let's not. Ne- let's never forget that. We're told in First John that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. And so Jesus is praying when you're not, and that he's the one who absolves us from all of our sin, you know, when we don't, when we, when we are prayerless, when our prayer life does sink, and it often does. Um, and then secondly, prayer is this incredible gift. There's a story uh, about a guy named Joseph Scrivener. He just graduated from seminary. He was about to get married. Um, and he was going to meet his bride. Um, this was back in 1844 in Ireland, of all things. And um, he was going to meet his bride the next day they were going to get married. Do you know the story, Timothy? No, I, I don't. He, at any rate, he's going think... to meet his bride. And since it was back in 1844, they're riding a horse. They're going to meet at this beautiful spot along the Bond River. And he gets to the spot, and there's this commotion that he sees. And what had happened was his fiance had got there ahead of him. And for some strange reason, the horse had bucked her off into the river. And he arrived just in time to see a crowd pulling her body out of the river. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really, really sad. Um, and he was grief struck. Um, I want to just read his words to you. Um, he wrote a, a diary about that moment. He said, when he saw her, the bottom of my world seemed to just disappear. Um, it was that man who wrote these words. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, prayer unceasing is this incredible gift for us. We can take uh, our deepest pains, our deepest hurts, and give them to God. Here it is. It's, we're trying to, what you're trying to do, I think, is change these, instead of making it think something we have to do, it's something that we get to do, to turn them into gifts from God, the rejoicing, the praying, the, the thanksgiving, because he's just so good to us. I got two last things on these clauses and then let's take a breath. (laughs) This last, this last clause um, says 
give thanks in all circumstances. One of the things we said is we can transcend our circumstances. The other thing that I want people to say, uh, to understand is you also don't have to transcend your circumstances. One of the things the Bible promises is that God channels, guides, changes, and uses every circumstance in your life to bless you. Um, that's Romans eight twenty eight. That's so many different Bible stories. Everything that's happening in your life is happening for a purpose, for your good purpose, to get you home to heaven, to get you to life with Jesus. And so we do trust that God is using everything, even in this time. And this is my last point. These clauses are all about a relationship with Jesus. And I want to leave our listeners with this image. I went on Google and I and I and I um I I started searching what is it what's it what does it look like to rejoice? And then they have this person who's who's like on a rock and there's a sunset and they're looking, you know, they're rejoicing. Um and I give thanks in all circumstances. Same image as person you know, hands in the air, like, yay. <laughs> and um, I, I did prayer too, but Google didn't know that sometimes in the Bible, people pray like this with their hands up in the air. The posture that the Apostle Paul is giving us towards God is one of reception and one of grace and a light, finally a light heart. When we live with our God, we live with our God in peace and with a light heart. There, I'm done. <laughs> oh man yeah what a beautiful book and i love how the apostle paul kind of closes the book out he he gives us the promise of the spirit and he says don't push the spirit out of your life don't don't quench the spirit compare what you hear with with the word of god and test them uh, reject evil, and then he puts his hands over us, and he gives us the blessing that we receive in in worship every week, and and it's a whole person blessing, whole, whole spirit, soul, body, blameless till the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The promise he's going to be faithful. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Not you. Um, it, it's not going to be through your own efforts, but it's through his. And just like he was faithful to you in the past, he'll be faithful to you in the future. And then I think you had something you wanted to say about a holy kiss. <laughs> it says, give one another a holy kiss. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff here, Timothy. I, I realize that we've really, we've really run out of time. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I probably have 40 more minutes of content here. And that's okay. You know what? I I I think I want to say this that um, this has been a wonderful journey, and it's been really fun to do these podcasts with you. Um, I have no idea what our next one's going to be, but I'm sure we'll be back soon. And when we come back soon, um, we're going to do our best to to cover the content. And if if this is helpful to people out there, if you're enjoying these um, these podcasts, let us know. And um, give us that feedback. We always love hearing from people. And I, I guess I want to close. My closing comment comes from verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, this whole book has been pushing us to Christ's second coming and this hope that we have. And I, I, our salvation 
is all based on the grace of Jesus. He called us into a relationship with himself through the gospel. He empowers us through life with the gospel. He is faithful to us in life through the gospel. We're not going to make it to him based on our own efforts or our own ability to will ourselves to live a good Christian life. It is based on him and his spirit that he provides through the gospel. And you know what? He's faithful, Christians. He is faithful. He started that good work in you. He's not going to quit it. And he's going to carry you through whatever you have going on in your life. That's what I want to close with. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's how Amen. I managed it. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.